0: We are continuing our message series in this book of Malachi, and we're really, we're looking at a people who had become really apathetic in their faith, that they had really grown in, there's some distance had come between them and God. And so they were struggling. And, and throughout this book, it's, it's kind of God giving them their report card, and, and they're not doing well, honestly. If you, and today, actually, they're doing especially bad. And if you came here today and you're like, boy, I just, I can't wait to hear a message of like, you know, from God's Word about exactly how God's people do it right and set the example, and it's going to be so good and uplifting, like, well, I'm sorry you came to the wrong place. Because <laughs> today, they don't get it Right and we don't always get it right if we're honest and i think that we can learn some things from them and from the lord as we study his word and as we as we uh, look at look at what the people did here today you know sometimes we all have some distance between us and god maybe you came here today and you're feeling some of that you just feel can't even explain it, but just feel that distance. And it doesn't mean that God is mad at you, that you're a bad person, that God has left you. There's a variety of reasons we can feel this way. And the fact is it happens to all Christians uh, from time to time. But just because it happens doesn't mean that we should just ignore it or say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. No, actually, when we feel that distance, it's really an opportunity to press in more to say, Lord, I need you, I, I, I need you, I, I feel some distance, and I just pray that you would draw me close, that you'd help me to know that you're here, that you, would, that you would let me know how much you love me, that you would show yourself to me in that way. And that's my prayer, is that through this time that God would do that. So, so I've been praying last night and today that God would do that in, in all of our hearts as we worship him here. So, in Malachi, I want to give you just a, kind of a microwave version of the backstory, because if you don't know the backstory, it's hard to really see how it applies to us. And, um, and Malachi writes about, in, in, he's the last prophet in the Old Testament, uh, meaning that after Malachi, you have roughly 400 years of prophetic silence where God does not send any prophets to speak to the people, to give them his words. 400 years go by, and then Jesus comes. Okay, so that's where we're at. And the people long, long before Malachi... Uh, The people had been in the land of Israel. Uh, Things were going well under King David, King Solomon. In time, the people would become less and less faithful, and they would struggle. And sometimes they'd have a king that would lead them closer to God, and other times they wouldn't. And they kind of slowly got worse and worse until finally God allows His people to be conquered, to be hauled off into exile because they are so faithless, uh, because they are not following the Lord at all. And it's a painful time. They're hauled away to Babylon, and they they cry out to God, and they repent. And even then, God hears them, and he forgives them. And it's a reminder of the fact that you're never, no matter how far you may feel from God, you're never too far off from God to seek him. That God, God restores his people even from that place. So he brings them back home, and this is about 100 years before Malachi's time. He brings them back home. Uh, They they rebuild. They rebuild the temple, which was a massive project. And, in fact, the temple was a very sacred space. That is – I'm actually not quite there yet. Uh, The temple was a very sacred space. Um, See, I give them notes, and then I don't follow the notes. It's really my fault is the truth. (laughs) They don't tell you that because they're nice, but it's actually my fault. So the temple is a really sacred space uh, because it's a place, it's kind of like God's branch office here on earth, right? And so this is the place where God and we're like heaven and earth meet each other, right? And like this is the place where the people would come to worship God. So they had rebuilt it and all this and it's just such a sacred thing where they, they came to connect with the Lord. But the problem is that they're full of apathy now, and they're really struggling. So now I'll go back to the cue I gave you earlier, which is that Malachi writes about 100 years before the exile had come home, and you've got the temple rebuilt right there. Um, you've got, But things are not going well, as Ezra and Nehemiah tell us. They had returned with high hopes of freedom, of being able to worship the Lord as they were called to do. They were awaiting this promised Messiah who would come and who would save them, who would establish God's kingdom, and justice and peace would reign in Israel forever. But that's not what happened. Instead, the people fell into corruption, into injustice, into poverty. This is not how God wanted it. It wasn't God's plan. And the overall impression that you get from the book is that the exile has changed nothing, that God's people just a hundred years in are exactly where we were before the exile. We don't get it. We're slow. We repeat these things over and over and over. The book is designed as a series of really disputes uh, with, with each section. There's six of them, beginning with God making a claim or an accusation, and then Israel will disagree or question what God is saying, and then God responds and He offers the final word. This happens six different times. In the first three, God exposes Israel's corruption. In the second, God confronts Israel's corruption. And that's kind of what they're doing in throughout this book. Last week, we talked about the first dispute where the people have the audacity to challenge God's claim that He loves them. You can check that out online if you missed it last week. This week, we're going to talk about the second and third claims and um, these areas of corruption where God exposes. The second dispute, it exposes a problem with Israel's temple. God accuses the people of despising and defiling the temple. The people fire back. How have we despised you? And God points out ways uh, that they have done this. They have brought offerings that are sick and they're, they're lame. They're kind of pathetic. And they're, uh, these animals are blemished uh, and it shows that they do not value or honor God. But it's not just the people, it's the priests too who run the temple. Not only do they tolerate, but they participate in these corrupt forms of worship. So from top to bottom, this is what we have here in Israel. The people do not care about the covenant that they've made with God. So this is not good news. I told you it was going to be kind of a rough day for the people right And God is listen to what he says to them in Malachi 1:6, the Lord of heaven's armies and notice he's going to refer to himself as that a lot and it's showing that I'm not just the king of Israel, I'm not just the king of, of the earth even I'm the king of the entire universe is what God's saying, okay? So that's, I'm God of the entire universe, the king of heaven, as we sang earlier. The Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, a son honors his father and a servant respects his master. I am your, if I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? God's like, okay, we have a relationship problem, it's you actually and the people are like really how did we ever how did we ever do this and, and this is a big accusation you are showing contempt for my name like you disrespect me so much you don't even like my name anymore i mean think about this let's say that uh, um, a couple, or say a, a guy comes in to my office for counseling. Well, let's just be honest. He'd go to Pastor Jonathan for counseling. He's much better at that than I am, but he goes to Pastor Jonathan for counseling, right? And, and he gets in there, and he says, hey, Pastor Jonathan, I need some help with my wife. And Jonathan says, okay, well, what's your wife's name? And he's like, nope, nope, I'm not, even, I'm not even saying it. I can't even say that name without getting mad. I want to listen to angry music. I focus on the Incredible Hulk, right? Like, I can't stand it. Well, we may have found the problem here, sir. <laughs> like, if you can't even stand her name, that's a rough place to start. And God's saying, this is how you treat me. You show contempt for who I am. This is how far away that you have fallen from me. And this is, he calls out the priests in this as well, the spiritual leaders of of the people. That's who he's talking to. It's like he's saying, well, here, church, your first problem is your pastor doesn't even love Jesus. Oh, boy, (laughs) that's time to find a new church, right? That's, That's not good, okay? This is how far off they are. And, and leaders are held to a higher standard, if, and, and if your leaders aren't even getting it right, you're in serious trouble here. And, and, and just like the first time, the people respond like, well, how do we do that? Verse 7, you've shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying that the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? Isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring that kind of offering, why should he show you any favor at all? So ask the Lord of heaven's armies. Cursed is the cheat who promises to bring a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king says the Lord of Heaven's armies, and my name is feared among the nations. Everybody else, I'm the king of the universe, everybody else seems to respect me, but not my own people. Because, and to back it up a little bit, the people had, I told you, the temple. This is like God's branch office. Why? Because this is the place, the one place on earth where they go to offer sacrifices. It's not like today where we have a church here, a church there, a church there. No, this is the place you worship God. In fact, when the people were in exile, this was one of the things that hurt their hearts the most. They couldn't be there in the temple. They couldn't be at this place that God had for them. So their temple had been destroyed. They were sent far away from it. So when the people are brought back, they rebuild the temple, and everybody's excited. Like, finally, we can worship the Lord in the temple again. We can offer sacrifices as He called us to do. Now, why sacrifices? Well, this was a command that God had given them because uh, their sins needed to be paid for, and the sacrifice system was the way that they did that. They're like, wait, time out. How does sacrificing a sheep pay for anybody's sin, right? That does not even make sense, especially to the sheep, right? It just doesn't seem fair. Well, all these sacrifices were not the end game. They're all pointing to Jesus Christ. He's going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He's going to be the perfect sacrifice. He's going to be the perfect high priest. He's going to be all these things. He's going to fulfill every single thing we see in this temple system. That's why we don't do this anymore today because Jesus comes and he replaces all that. He fulfills all of that, right? So, so the sacrifices at the time, this is their way, their way of honoring the Lord, of repenting for their sins, of making the relationship right. And God gave lots of instructions about it. So it gives it all, you, you read the early books of the Old Testament, you see very detailed uh, descriptions of what, when you sacrifice, how you sacrifice, why you sacrifice, all this kind of stuff. And, and the key thing was that when you bring a sacrifice, it's got to be the best. You bring your firstborn lamb. You bring your healthy one, right? You don't look through your flock and say, which is the one that's probably going to die tomorrow? Oh, let's get that one and bring that to God. Uh Uh-uh. You bring the best, the top one, because you bring your best to the Lord. But this is not what the people are doing. They're bringing these sick animals in, showing how little, fine, if I gotta bring a sacrifice, uh, I'll bring in this pathetic old sheep here, right? And God's like, you wouldn't do that to the government, would you? I I mean, when it comes time to pay your taxes every year, do you send them Burger King coupons? No. (laughs) I don't recommend it, by the way. This is not legal advice. Don't do that. They won't accept it. They want your money, right? It's how it works. And the Bible's saying, this is what you're doing to me, though, like, it's kind of like if your kid asks for a puppy, right, and you go and, and you get, go to the pet store and, and you get them a puppy, right, and the kid comes home from school and they're so excited to play with the puppy, and the puppy's just laying there and vomiting, and like, mom, what's up with the puppy? Like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I got you a sick puppy. That's just kind of how it is. Like, well, why also, why does the puppy not have hind legs? Yeah, you know, it was in the 75% off cage at the pet store, right? We got a deal. Now, don't get me wrong, all God's creatures deserve a good home, but you probably wouldn't bring that home to your small child who asked for a pet, now would you? No, you'd want to get a great dog. You'd pick this dog out very carefully, something that would fit your family well, yada, yada, yada. And God's saying, you bring me the worst. You have contempt for my name. This is how you look at me. He calls them out, and it's hard. Maybe some of you have, I remember in high school, once we did this collection for the homeless, our youth group did, and I remember we were sorting through the stuff, and it, I can still remember today, it was shocking some of the stuff that people brought in. I mean, like, you know, like, hey, I brought in Grandpa Joe's old ashtray and his underwear as well. Like, can I get a $300 tax deduction? Like, No, that's not what you do. You don't bring in garbage. Put the garbage in the garbage, right? Like, bring good stuff if you're giving, that's not generosity to bring garbage right and this is what the people are doing and and the problem here is that that they're looking for this like bargain bin religion they're looking for this religion that doesn't really cost them And it's easy for us to do this, too, because we always like a bargain, right? You know, many of you like to shop. It's like a sport for you or something like this, right? You get a deal. You tell all your friends about the deal. Like, that's fine, right? I mean, none of us go into Kroger, and the item that we wanted is on sale, and we're like, oh, man, I was hoping to pay full price. How are those executives going to get their bonus this year if I'm not paying full price? We don't think that way, right? We always want a deal, And so that sometimes that mindset pervades, like, works its way into our spirituality, and we're like, what is the least I can do and still have a relationship with God? Like, what's the lowest I can do and, you know, still make it to heaven, right? You know, I mean, I'm sure it does not mean, like, going on that junior high mission trip. That's only for saints, right? We know that already, right? But, but what's the least I can give? How many Sundays can I skip a year? Um, do I really need to read my Bible on my own? I, don't I pay a pastor to do that kind of stuff, right? Like, come on. And we get into that. We get into that. And the fact is, friends, sometimes we're spiritually apathetic because we're spiritually cheap, We give so little of ourselves, and yet we expect so much from God. And don't hear me wrong. It's not that we earn salvation. Clearly, we do not. The Bible is real clear about that. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. I can't either, right? This is a fact. But think about relationships. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone where clearly you care more about the relationship than they care about it? They always want something from you, something from you, but there's never any contribution to the relationship. It's draining. It's tiring. You find yourself not making time for that friend soon enough and making time for the ones where it's a mutual investment of love. That's what God wants because God always brings 100% to the relationship, always 100%. He's never spiritually cheap with us. Friends, I believe that that when we give ourselves to the Lord, that we feel closer to Him, that He draws us in, that He blesses us. It's like, like blessing goes down when praise goes up, right? Like that when we praise God, when we worship God, that I believe that God moves in mighty ways, that He draws us in, that when we read His Word, right, and He speaks His truth into our minds, that it begins to change the way that we think and the way that we look at people and the world and all these things, we become more loving and kind and compassionate, all these kinds of things, because as we draw near to God, He does exactly what He promised, and He draw near to us. And that's why it matters so much to, to be faithful to our commitments to the Lord. Because when we commit and say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. That's the leader of my life every day. That means something. That's not just like a one-time thing I said when I was five years old, and now I wait till I die and go to heaven. Like, no, there's a whole relationship in between, and there's a whole process of growing more and more like Jesus Christ. That's what faith is about, and that's a life-changing faith. It's not a cheap faith. It's a faith that's worth having, though, because anything in this world that's worth having is worth investing in, and this is a faith that is worth investing in. God doesn't want your spiritual cheapness. Look at, how, look at how he feels about it. Malachi 1.10, this is God. How I wish that one of you would shut the temple doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will not accept your offerings. Wow. Your ancestors used to sit in Babylon and cry out to me because they couldn't come and worship here. That's what your great grandfather did, and then your grandfather and your father—they built this temple, right? Because they anticipated worshiping the Lord. And you can't even bring a good sacrifice. Shut the door. If you don't care, shut it down. Wow. God is angry because the people are dishonoring their covenants and their commitments, and it shows us just how much these things matter to God. This is it's serious, but it's not just their commitments with God. It's also their commitments with each other. Because remember we talked about how the gospel has two halves. The first half is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. And not only are they failing in their commitments to God, they're failing in their commitments to each other. As well, and this matters a lot. We've got one more video about this. It talks about this third dispute, and in this third dispute, God accuses the Israelite men of breaking their commitments to Him and to their wives, which of course they deny. God exposes this toxic combination of idolatry and divorce that is taking place. Israelite men were leaving their non-Israelite women and then or wives and adopting uh, the worship of new wives, new foreign wives. They're adopting their false gods. The people are all fine with this, but Malachi is not. He says, no, this is a violation of your covenant with God and with your wife as well. Now, we've, we've got to, again, you've got to pause to understand what's happening here. God had commanded the Israelites that they're only to marry Israelites. And and before we get messed up about this, this is not a condemnation of marrying people who are from a different ethnicity as you. It's not what it's about. God gave them this command because he didn't want them marrying people who didn't share their same faith. Because what happened, in fact, Paul repeats this in the New Testament when he says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever and and he wants them to be unified with their spouse in their faith right so that's why god calls them to this well the israelite men had been doing that you know when they first got back but they but what happened then is for some reason and it doesn't say why, but for some reason, the guys decided that they wanted to marry these girls who, from foreign countries, like countries nearby them. And so they divorced, they were divorcing their Israelite wives and taking these new wives. After the 830 service, somebody's like, well, why did they do that? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I knew. I, it doesn't say, because really it doesn't matter. The fact is, they've made a covenant. And they're breaking the covenant. There's no excuse. They're they're, they're doing it. And God is is not happy about this at all. He goes on for quite a few verses. I'm just going to summarize for time today. But he he basically says, you're being unfaithful in your covenant with me, and you're being unfaithful in, in your covenant with your wives. Um, He says, you have been unfaithful to your wife, even though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are His. And they don't care. They don't care. Now, hear me real clearly. I know that for many of us, um, we've experienced divorce in our life in one way or another, whether it was our parents or whether it was us uh, or whatnot. And and I know that's an incredibly painful thing. And if you've been through that, I, I'm so sorry. I know that it's complicated and, and very painful. And please don't hear God's word here as a condemnation of you. No, God is a God of grace and forgiveness. And for those that whether divorced or if you're married, whether you've been divorced before or or not, I'm sure there all of us would say. There are times that we haven't lived out these vows to their fullest extent. And God is saying, I care about that stuff. I care about the covenants you make with me. I care about the covenants that you make with each other. Be faithful. If I'm the Lord of your life, then your covenant with your wife or husband matters. Because you didn't just make that on your own. You made that before me. Marriage, God says, was my idea, remember? In fact, he uses marriage throughout the Bible as this amazing example of God's love for us. Many times it says this. Ephesians 5 is one of them. It's talking about how we should submit to one another in love in our relationship, in our marriage. It says, for husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. God is saying to the people, it matters. It matters when you break your covenants with each other. It matters the way that you treat your spouse. It matters the way that you treat your kids. It matters the way that you approach your job. All these things matter because if you're a follower of Jesus, your word matters. Jesus will say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of integrity in your commitment to God and your commitment to others. Malachi, he gives us this word today. And I told you in the beginning, it's a hard word because the people were way far off. Thank God we're not all in that same space today. I mean, the fact that you're here is a great indication or that you're watching online is a great indication that that you've got a lot more concern about your faith than what the people had. But if you look at your life today, you might notice a couple things. First, first passages like these remind me of how much we need Jesus. Because when you read these Old Testament prophets, you see how the people time and time again mess this up so badly. And it's easy for me to kind of mock them and be judgy about them. But the fact is, I mess stuff up too. We all do. Are any of us perfectly faithful to God's Word? not likely. And so we need grace. We need forgiveness. And, and what these, the Old Testament shows us is how much we need Jesus. Because see, Jesus came. He talked about how bad these priests were. Jesus came, and he was the ultimate high priest. He's the one who gave his life as a sacrifice for their sins. And Jesus came, and he replaced the temple too, right? Because he went to the cross. He gave himself. He was the perfect, spotless lamb of God. And Jesus replaces this whole system because he knows that we need a Savior, that we need a sacrifice for our sins. And so as an act of love, God did that for you. And maybe for you today, the first step is saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you've not done that yet. Well, please let today be the day. For he's here. He loves you. He cares more about you than you could ever imagine. And his grace is so much greater than, than your sins and my sins and everybody else's sins. He's paid the price so that you don't have to. And so what we do is we say, Jesus, yes, I trust you to be my Savior, the one who paid the price for my sins, and to be the Lord, the leader of my life. And I want to ask you to, be, to, to come into my heart and to be my leader. Maybe for you, you've, you've done that, but you realize there's some places where your faithfulness to those covenants, to God or others, just aren't where they need to be. Friends, God is a God of grace and forgiveness, and he hears us when we pray. And so I'm going to pray in a moment, and you can pray right along with me where you're at. You can come pray here at the altar with me at that time or during the last song, Whatever it is that's going on in your life, or maybe in the life of somebody else you just want to pray for, I invite you to, to come and pray because God moves in powerful ways when we seek Him. His blessings come down when our praises go up. So, God, we are here. We're here for you. We're seeking you, Lord, because you are so good. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and that you are the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God that has taken my sin, the sins of the world. I trust Jesus in you. I trust that while I couldn't pay the price, you did. And I just say thank you. Thank you for that incredible free gift. Lord, I pray that you'd come into my heart, that you'd change me, God, from the inside out, that you would be the Lord, the leader of my life. And God, I pray that you would help us, help us to follow, to be faithful to the the covenants that we make with others. Lord, I pray for every marriage here today who's struggling, God. Lord, I pray that you would just be the Lord. For couples right now to join hands and to know, God, that you called them to this, that you've got them. It wasn't a mistake. And it's your power that's going to get them through. For parents and children that are distant, God, I just pray for unity, for healing, for forgiveness, for hope, for friendships that are broken. Give us the courage, God, if we need to take the first step. Help us to be faithful to those covenants. For whatever it is, God, we just give ourselves to you, Lord. We need you. We love you. And we pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. I want you stand.